I'm antisocial is what it comes down to. I, on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't really want to interact with Susie572 from Boise. Okay, I just don't. Um, I, I don't know how, and, and, and on top of that, I have an addictive uh, personality as I have my seventh cup of coffee. Hey, could somebody give me some more coffee? Is there coffee over there? Can you give me some more coffee? I'm starting to get the shakes. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at catholicfoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 124 of the Catholic Foodie. Alton Brown, this bisque's for you. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today uh, I have lots of goodies for you. Uh, the family and I had the opportunity to meet two chefs uh, a couple of weeks back, Chef John Besh and Alton Brown, and I can't wait to tell you about it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we have a question about skim milk today, specifically what makes it skim, and how is that different from regular milk? And of course, I have a recipe for you, too, actually. We'll talk about shrimp stock and shrimp bisque. Sarah Reinhardt joins us today in our Mary in the Kitchen segment. We have food and faith thanks to the rosary on her kitchen windowsill. All this and more right here at Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. And this episode of the Catholic Foodie is brought to you by DivineOffice.org. You will find all things Liturgy of the Hours at DivineOffice.org. Of course, the Liturgy of the Hours is the official prayer of the Church, and it is prayed several times a day by priests, religious, and laity all around the world. It is a treasure trove of grace and a rich education in prayer. If you have never prayed the Liturgy of the Hours, I encourage you to give it a try. And DivineOffice.org makes it very easy to do so. You will find the hours available there in text format. And also in, um, in audio, you can subscribe to the podcast version or download your iPhone, download the iPhone or iPad app. There's even an app for your iMac or MacBook. And now there are apps for your Android and Nokia. But the most important thing that you will find at divineoffice.org is a living community of prayer. So come join us in prayer at divineoffice.org. Yes, sir. Uh, you're referred to differently in Good Eats and Iron Chef America. Is it Alton or Elton? It's Alton. All right. I just give up correcting people after a while, you know, and, and just, yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about. Well, you know. Ever since uh, we saw Iron Chef America, I've been wondering that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the way that my mom says it and the way my wife says it. Well, that was Alton Brown. <laughs> I learned how to pronounce his name uh, three years ago when he came to New Orleans to promote his Feasting on Asphalt cookbook. It was the fall of 2008, and right about the time that I launched The Catholic Foodie, as a matter of fact. So some of my first blog posts and podcast episodes were about Alton Brown and Good Eats. And you can check out episode two of The Catholic Foodie, for proof, if you need it. <laughs> anyway, several weeks ago, we found out that Alton would be back in New Orleans on October 19th for a book signing, this time promoting his final Good Eats cookbook, Good Eats 3, the later years. Uh, we didn't want to miss this opportunity to meet him again, so Charlie and I took the kids to New Orleans on the 19th. Now, in order to make this happen, the girls had to skip gymnastics. Right, it's their gymnastics practice. That's Wednesday night gymnastics, and normally they would never want to miss. But they uttered not one complaint about it because, well, you know, after all, they were going to meet Alton Brown. And uh, in addition to that, you know, Char and I, we decided to make this into like an event, okay? This is an event. And uh, we wanted to take advantage of the opportunity that this trip to New Orleans would provide to treat the kids to a late lunch at one of our favorite new 
New Orleans restaurants, Chef John Besh's Luke. Uh, Char and I first discovered Luke when we were at the Lebanese convention in July, and I talked about our experience there on episode 117 of the Catholic Foodie, which was entitled Super Simple Summer Salads. Uh, you know, Chef John Besh calls Luke his homage to the grand old Franco-German brasseries that once reigned in New Orleans. Aesthetically, it's in, uh, it has an old-world feel. There are lots of brass fixtures, polished wood panels, aged-looking ceiling fans. You know, Luke feels like a well-worn Parisian restaurant. It's casual, yet elegant. Seafood is a main feature of the establishment, but not in the typical Cajun fashion that is associated with New Orleans. You know, the dishes at Luke are more casual French, Creole, and German brasserie fare. But don't be fooled by the term casual. In this case, it does not mean cheap or dressed down. Here's an example of what I mean. You know, one of the favorite items of many guests is the, uh, the French fries. And they're unlike any fries you'll ever have. Rumor has it that they are fried in duck fat. <laughs> and they're out of this world. I'm telling you, they're out of this world. They come to the table perfectly salted and sitting in a paper-lined silver cup. Ah, it's delectable. So if you ever, ever are in New Orleans, I highly recommend that you stop by John Besh's Luke. It's down in the CBD, the Central Business District. It's a very nice place. Now, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but our kids are little foodies. They eat pretty much everything. And uh, since we get uh, so excited about meeting chefs and getting cookbooks signed, you know, I guess you could say that our whole family is just a bunch of foodie geeks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we really wanted to share this restaurant with the kids. And it was a splurge, but uh, it was a celebration, you know, one that we just really wanted to have. So uh, the book signing on the 19th did not start until 6 p.m., so we had planned a late lunch at Luke around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we were a few minutes late, but, uh, but that was all right. You know, as is customary, Char and I had already studied the menu online, and we pretty much knew what we were going to order. Uh, there were a few appetizers that we couldn't make up our mind on, but we figured we would just order whatever we were in the mood for once we got there. Uh, we didn't know that they were going to throw a monkey wrench into our plans <laughs> by informing us that we were just in time for happy hour. <laughs> raw oysters, raw, raw oysters, typically $14 a dozen there. They were really good oysters. Uh, we're on sale for $6 a dozen. You know, I should have gotten two because the kids devoured them. I think, uh, I think only I had one oyster, which is a bummer. Uh, unfortunately, I, I only ordered that one dozen, uh, but I did take note of the fact that, uh, you know, happy hour is about that time. So, uh, and Char really wanted to order the terrine of slow-cooked foie gras. So that's what, uh, that's what we had for the table to start. And, oh, and I had a mint julep, too. I couldn't, couldn't uh, get, get by without ordering a mint julep down there. So uh, here we are, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a table of five with three at the table, ages 9, 10, and 12, at one of the nicest restaurants in the CBD, eating raw oysters and foie gras, and I was sipping on the mint julep, uh, and the main door opens. And who walks in? None other than uh, Chef John Besh, and his business partner, Octavio. Now, Octavio and I have been uh, friends on Twitter for, for, for quite a while. I think like years, maybe like two or three years we've been on Twitter. And we've conversed back and forth from time to time. 
And uh, more, more recently, uh, Chef John Besh and I both have, have – uh, we follow each other on Twitter, so that's really kind of cool too. Uh, but anyway, we, we must have stood out that day. You know, a family of five having lunch at 3-something in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Uh, we must have stood out because as he walked to the restaurant, apparently on his way to a meeting, he stopped by our table to chat. Very, very gracious. We had a delightful, though short, conversation and, of course, my son Christopher wanted to detain him as long as possible. <laughs> he was explaining that we were coming to his restaurant before going to see Alton Brown so that Alton could sign his cookbook. Uh, it was all slightly confusing, but precious nonetheless. <laughs> and that was it. You know, he went to his meeting, and we continued with lunch. I ordered an additional appetizer, a bowl of seafood gumbo, so that we could all, we could all have a taste. And uh, Char, Char ordered uh, the special of the day, which was, and please, again, pardon my French, it was a ragu uh, danu provençal, which was braised lamb, ricotta gnocchi, and kobe rice vegetables and olives. She loved it. I had a little taste. It was very good. It's not what I was in the mood for, but it was really good. Uh, she absolutely loved it. Uh, believe it or not, I ordered the Luke Burger. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was in the mood for, a hamburger, believe it or not. And uh, it was topped with Alan Benton's bacon, caramelized onions, tomatoes, and Emmenthaler Swiss cheese and served with their famous house-made fries. Christopher ordered the Couchon de Lay press sandwich, and the girls ordered one, too, uh, to split. They split one. And uh, the Couchon de Lay press sandwich is pulled pork, Chassese ham. Chassese is a local ham made right here in New Orleans. Uh, caramelized onions and a cher and cherry mustard, uh, again served with those famous house-made fries. And at the end of the meal, we were stuffed and we were happy. <laughs> we left. We drove down St. Charles Avenue to Octavia Street. The book signing again was at Octavia Books, and to our great delight, we found the perfect parking spot. And we were early for a change. You know, three years ago we were late and we missed so much of. What, what happened before he started the signing. Apparently, he has a little presentation or a question-answer session that he does. And uh, three years ago, we missed that. Didn't even know what happened because we were outside the door in line waiting to get in. But not this year. This year, perfect parking spot, and we were there early. And uh, it was just great. It was great. You know, it was very, it was delightful. Uh, we were already close to the front of the line. We're inside, right there in the front. But when Alton did arrive, he invited all the kids and their families to come up real close. Uh, it was a school night, he said, and he wanted families to go first so that they could go home and get to bed at a decent hour. Uh, such a gentleman, right? Such a gentleman. Uh, it was just such a delight to talk to, to listen to him talk about food and, and New Orleans. You know, like John Besh, he too was very gracious. Uh, he had had lunch, he told us, that day at a very nice restaurant in the warehouse district called Couchon. And as you can imagine, that restaurant specializes in pork, he said that uh, they had ordered, ordered about uh, 20 dishes that they had passed around the table. Now, I don't know how many they were, but he said he felt like he had eaten four pigs. <laughs> uh, he also noted that he had been saving up for days for his trip to New Orleans, as he usually does when he comes down here. He said that the day before, the only thing that he had, he had to eat was a bowl of oatmeal in the morning and a can of sardines later in the day. And uh, he really has a thing for sardines, and you'll probably hear something about that later. Uh, anyway, I found it very interesting, too, to hear him comment that there are only three food meccas in the U.S. 
New York, New Orleans, and Las Vegas. Uh, someone in the crowd asked him what he thought about uh, the food truck revolution that's sweeping the nation. And he said he loved it. He loved the whole idea of it. He let, really good food comes out of that, too. And he said that, you know, there are lots of places in the country that really need food trucks, like Atlanta, where he lives, and also L.A. Uh, he said that we really don't need it here in New Orleans. Um, it, it, to quote him, this is what he said. He says, it's hard to have a bad meal in New Orleans. Y'all are saturated with good food, good restaurants down here, he said. But food trucks, even though we don't need them, will still do well because we really love good food down here and, and, and we spend money on it. <laughs> so anyway, I loved hearing that. I thought that was really uh, quite neat. Um, you know, I really wanted to record his question and answer session because it was personal. You know, it was, it was him. He was relaxed. He said he had, a, had had a couple of cocktails with his, with his meal right before he got there. He's very relaxed. <laughs> and uh, he, it was just personal. It was about New Orleans. It was about our area. I really wanted to record the question and answer session, but I felt awkward doing so, especially because we're up front. And I, I started to. I had my iPhone up there. I was trying to record it like with the, the video camera. Uh, but I felt awkward because I didn't want to block the view of the people behind me. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, I just want to be in the moment, and I don't want to feel like I'm living vicariously through this little gadget that I'm carrying in my hand. So I put the iPhone up. Now, I'll, I kicked myself later for that, <laughs> but at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. However, uh, I've got good news there. Luckily, some folks at Googleplex videoed an hour-long presentation that he made to them just a few days before he came to New Orleans. And he talked about a lot of the same things. So I took the time to go through that presentation and pull some clips from, uh, from it for you, clips that I thought that you would enjoy. And these clips will give you a taste of his wit and personality when he meets with, with small or smallish groups in public. And I hope you certainly hope you enjoy this. It's going to be a series of clips here, and I'll introduce each one and kind of give you some thoughts on it as we go along. Now, one of the first questions he was asked, uh, both at Googleplex and also here in New Orleans, was about his most recent cookbook, Good Eats, which incidentally was what the book signing was all about, right, that we went to a couple of weeks ago. It was He was promoting that book, and, and he signed that book for us. And uh, here's what he had to say about that project, that book, that last book in the series, Good Eats 3. Three, the later years tonight. Anybody have that in their hot little hand? Gotta... Those things right there, those four pound piles of paper. Okay, all right. Which I'm, I'm pretty proud of because the entire Good Eats book set is actually a little different from most uh, cookbooks from shows because we take the, the recipes, the applications from the shows, tear them down and completely rebuild them from scratch because cooking from a book is very different than cooking from a, from a show. And so they're completely remastered and we retweaked. So you should have 100% success. If not, it's your fault. Because <laughs> I've, I've taken care of stuff. You know, I have all the Good Eats cookbooks. I can tell you that they are awesome. They're fun and solid. Uh, the applications, as he calls them, are solid. And it's just a lot of fun, lots of information. He does so much research uh, on each of those episodes. And so all three of them uh, catalog really the entire 13-year series of good eats it's just uh, it's it's a lot of fun a lot of fun and uh, you know christmas is coming up and if you want to get a copy of any of his cookbooks for yourself or to give away as gifts 
please use my Amazon.com affiliate links over at CatholicFoodie.com. It doesn't cost you a penny more, but it really does help me with the work that I do here at the Catholic Foodie. I would really appreciate that. Uh, another big topic at the Googleplex presentation, and again in New Orleans too, was this question, what's next? You know, now that Good Eats has been put to bed, what's on the agenda for Alton Brown? Here's how he answered this at Google. Thank you very much. Uh, well, my question was, yes. so now that the greatest show in the history of TV is coming to a close, what is coming next? What's coming next, there are two different things. Um, one, I'm going to be putting a lot of energy into video-enhanced eBooks. I'm going to merge the the, t the film experience with the print experience into um, an e-form. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of room for uh, pioneering in that that will allow for some very interesting filmmaking opportunities, um, as well as, as, as a kind of a whole new way of communicating what, what food is and how to work with a cookbook in the kitchen. So I'm going to be doing that. Um, as far as Food Network goes, um, I'm going to be doing a mini-series. Um, it's kind of a historical thing called Foods That Change the World. We're going to be looking at a series of ingredients and how man's relationship with that ingredient has helped to craft the planet that we live in. And then also looking forward at the foods that I think are going to change the world as we go into a, a planet with a population you know, of, of 9 billion plus. Um, which is that we're basically all going to eat Soylent Green in very small cubes. You know, it's, it's, some of you don't remember Soylent Green, probably. Um, and, and at the very beginning of the year, um, there's a, another show on Food Network called uh, Next Food Network Star. I don't know if anybody's seen Food Network Star before. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, I, I was in the very first episode of that last year, and the general impression was is I make people cry and that I'm a meanie. Um, and so as a result, I've been asked to be on all 11 episodes next year. So... <laughs> Um, I'm going to be on all of the uh, Food Network star shows next year, and my only mission is to make people cry and give up or try, you know, drop out, basically, I think is what I'm going to do. Kind of like Louis Gossett Jr. and an officer and a gentleman, you know, it's, that's what I'm going cool. to be there for. So I got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Cool. And I, and I, may, I may do something that's uh, not food-related. Male modeling, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Alton has a great sense of humor, and you see that on Good Eats, of course. Uh, he's also very quick on his feet. I mean, all this stuff was uh, just, you know, uh, what do you call it? It was, it was ad-lib, right? It wasn't planned. It, was just, it just happened. And he was very, very, very quick on his feet, quick-witted. And uh, this next clip highlights his humor. You know, a couple of years ago, Alton changed his diet, which resulted in him losing 50 pounds. Uh, at Google, he was asked how he was doing with his weight and his uh, sweet tooth. And uh, here was his response. So you were here two years ago, and you're really focused on health, and you're still looking really healthy. So I'm, I'm still trying. How's that going? Uh, it's hard. You know, losing weight's easy. Keeping weight off, hard. It's, it's like fighting zombies. You think you've killed all the zombies, <laughs> and then there are more zombies. I mean, there's just more of them. They never freaking really go away. And so how you have to constantly keep your 9 mil on you. You have to constantly keep a machete nearby. <laughs> and that's the, way, that's the way it is with, with diet, because your body does not want to maintain the weight that you've, you've set. I mean, it'll get used to it after a while, but any chance that your body gets to betray you, it will. <laughs> and how's your sugar? Does anybody else notice this? And, and anybody here? I mean, you're, this is in Northern California. People don't have weight <laughs> problems, I know, because you all eat granola and alfalfas and crab. And, well, I live in the South, okay? You know, we have biscuits and ham and mint juleps. For breakfast, so it's, I mean, until I was like 12 years old, I thought bourbon was just for Captain Crunch cereal, for gosh sakes. I, it's 
hard. How's your sweet tooth going? Because I know that that was... My sweet tooth is not as nearly as bad as okay. it used to. The, the biggest thing to getting over my sweet tooth was giving up diet soda. Diet soda, I think, is evil because what it does is it tells your brain, I need this level of sweetness. Can you repeat that? Sorry? Can you repeat that about the diet soda? I think diet soda is evil. Okay. Thank you. And I live in Atlanta. So, I mean, I've already got a hit out on me, okay? Because, I mean, you know, in, in Atlanta, all the new houses have a Diet Coke spigot in the kitchen. Um, but no, I think that it, what it does is it conditions your brain to believe that you need a certain level of sweetness all the time. And when you can't get it from, a, you know, your eighth soda of the day, you eat more sweets. The truth is now, if you were to put a bowl of something that I used to be extremely susceptible to, peanut M&Ms. I considered any vessel of peanut M&Ms to be one serving. <laughs> kind of like Girl Scout cookies. Everybody knows that a box of, of Thin Mints only has two servings in it because once the tube is breached, you know, you, you take, take the hold of the plastic and you take your fingers like this, you just, <laughs> until the, the plastic comes off. But now it's like I could eat, you know, like a handful of, of peanut M&Ms and be just so overwhelmed with sweetness that I couldn't, couldn't have any more. All right. Or I could go ahead and have another handful and just throw up. <laughs> but that's unhealthy, too, because it turns your teeth funny colors. Never this isn't really that. going where you yeah, thought. No, that's okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's funny. Oh, wow. Uh, so <laughs> now, there are two, uh, two more clips that I want to share with you. One is a recipe of sorts. Uh, he was asked about his go-to meal. You know, what is, he, what, is he, what is a meal he just goes to when he doesn't know what else to do or, or whatever? And the other... The other clip is going to talk about uh, how cooking for others transfers love in a tangible way. And I really loved what he had to say about cooking for his daughter. You know, in many ways, what he said really it, it encapsulates a great deal of what the Catholic foodie is all about. But here's Alton's go-to meal, which sounds completely delicious to me, by the way. I mean, who doesn't love bacon, right? I, I, I have this one, one dish that I... I really adore that I cook a lot when, like, my family's not there. And it's, um, I do this on a panini press, and it's really cool. I, I, I get my panini press hot. I take three, and by the way, I don't have an endorsement from a panini press. I put three big rashers of bacon in it, and I close the lid, and I wait about two minutes and let the bacon cook till it's crisp. Take it out. Um, during the time that that's out, I cut up an onion, and I cut up some mushrooms. So what I do is I take the bacon out. While the, the bacon fat is in there, I throw the sliced mushrooms in, close the lid, cook another two minutes till they're crispy. Take those out, throw in some uh, sliced onion, still enough fat to cook, a mm -hmm. couple of minutes, take that out. In the meantime, I cut up the bacon. And then the last thing I do is I throw in two big handfuls of spinach, oh. baby spinach, close the lid, count to 12, take it out, put that all in a bowl, put some hot sauce on it, and eat it. That I love good. that. So it's a hot spinach, mushroom, bacon salad. That's kind of my, I love that meal. And canned sardines. I got a thing for sardines. Mm -mm, that sounds so good. Not the sardines. I don't like that. That's my son's department. He loves sardines. Uh, I don't. But uh, wow, that salad sounds great, huh? I mean, bacon, golly, spinach, mushrooms, onions. Oh, it's just insane. Now, now for a philosophical or even quasi-theological comment on food, cooking, and feeding others, particularly those closest to us, this, the interviewer's original question was something along the lines of, uh, what was the last meal that you cooked before coming here? And uh, this is what he had to say. The last meal that I cooked at home before I went on, uh, on this book tour was I made uh, breakfast for my daughter. If I am in town, I cook my daughter breakfast every day for two reasons. One, no one will feed you as well as somebody who loves you. I believe sure. that. I believe there's a tangible 
transferable value of, of love in cooking for people. So I want to cook for her every day. Number one, I know I can put good nutrition on the plate, and I want her to see that her dad is there cooking for her and doing that for her. So uh, that was my, my last meal, because after that, I Do you cook with here. your daughter often? Do I cook for her often? Every or day? with her? With her. Yeah, but she's lazy. She's only interested. <laughs> my daughter is only interested in something that results in a lickable batter or dough. Is that funny or what? <laughs> I think his daughter's 11, if I'm not mistaken. I, I need to go back and double check that, but I think she's 11. So, you know, there's just so much more from this interview that I would love to share with you, but uh, we just don't have time to do that uh, right now. I mean, it was an hour-long uh, presentation that uh, or interview that he went through. So, uh, But what I'll do is I'll post a link to the full video over at catholicfoodie.com. Make sure you go over there and check that out. Uh, now, you may be wondering why I chose to title this episode, Alton Brown, This Bisque's For You. Uh, perhaps I was being a little bit silly, of course, but you know, obviously I wanted to share our experience of meeting him again uh, with you. But I also, uh, you know, there, the two other segments of this episode are related, and that's uh, the question of skim milk and, and bisque. Uh, bisques are often uh, cream-based, and uh, so we're going to move on to the next two segments in, in just a second. I want to end with, with this. We're the second person, second group of people at least in line to have Alton sign the cookbook. And uh, last time, three years ago, we had him sign it to the kids, Christopher, Annabelle, and Grace. Well, this time, excuse me, this time we had all talked ahead of time and decided that we would have him sign it to the Catholic Foodie. And I have to admit, I was kind of hoping that he would read Catholic Foodie and be intrigued by that and say, hmm, wow, what is that? And uh, maybe ask me questions about it. And it would be great, of course, to have him say, this is Alton Brown, and you're listening to The Catholic Foodie with Jeff Young. Of course, there's this thing called uh, exclusivity clause or an exclusivity clause, which a lot of celebrities have in their contracts with places like Food Network and, and stuff like that. So it probably wouldn't even happen. But it was, it was you know, it was a dream. And uh, anyway, the, the name did stick. I mean, it did catch his attention. He saw a Catholic foodie. I gave him my business card, handed it to him, make it out to this. And, you know, he was, as he was riding, he was asking me about it. So we talked about that. And we talked about the motorcycle, the fact that I was, uh, I rode a motorcycle for years. And we, we talked about, um, uh, the fact that we were there three years ago with Feasting on Asphalt. He was really genuinely uh, appreciative of the fact that we had been there three years ago and we came back and that we were uh, still engaged, I guess you'd say, with his content, with what he is providing. He seemed to be very sincerely, genuinely impressed with that. And matter of fact, we had gotten into conversation about it so much so that he uh, was distracted as he signed the, the, the cookbook to us and uh, he made it out to the Catholic <laughs> instead of the Catholic foodie. So I guess uh, I have now been dubbed as the Catholic. <laughs> I don't know. Can I start a new podcast and, and, and website about that? Just call it thecatholic.com. I don't know. Anyway, kind of funny, kind of a funny story. But uh, let's go now to some feedback that I got uh, from a nun, from Sister Maria Francina about skim milk. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. 
Sister Maria Francina wrote a few weeks ago asking the following question. She says, what do they do to milk to make it skim? I hear how it is not good for us. Please inform me. Thank you. Well, sister, you know, I won't be able to go into great depth today to answer your question. There's just not enough time for that. But I do want to give you a condensed answer. And uh, maybe this is something that we can come back to in another episode later on. Uh, But, you know, if you take milk after it first comes out of the cow and you place it in a large glass jar and wait, and really you don't even have to wait very long, you will notice after a short while that it starts to separate. The fat rises to the top. And in the old days, folks used to skim that fat off. And, you know, they could use it to make butter or cream or whatever. Uh, They would skim that fat off, and what was left was just the quote-unquote milk. And that's really where the name skim milk comes from. Now, today we're much more sophisticated, and we don't skim milk that way anymore. Uh, Instead, milk manufacturers use more technologically advanced tools to separate out the fat, uh, from the milk, something like a centrifuge or some some sort of contraption like that. Now, what's really interesting, though, is that milk manufacturers will then add back some of the fat to make your different types of milk, like 1% skim and whole. Uh, there's a lot of talk today about milk. The processes used to make skim milk today removes virtually all the flavor and nutritional value of the milk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of it's baffling. Uh, the whole milk, or whole milk rather, uh, has been demonized in our in popular culture, really, because it's 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 fatty, right? It's fatty. You need to drink skim milk or low-fat milk or whatever. Uh, never mind the fact that it actually uh, contains good fat, fat that's good for you. Uh, still, whole milk is not nearly as nutritionally valuable as is raw milk. But you know, raw milk has been even more demonized than whole milk. Uh, it's illegal. It is illegal to sell raw milk in almost all of the United States. Uh, there are little pockets, from what I understand, little pockets uh, here and there of, of like maybe even on the county level that will allow you to sell raw milk. But on the whole, it is illegal to sell raw milk in the U.S. The fear, of course, is uh, salmonella and other dangerous bacteria. Now, what we are not told is that the salmonella is not really from the cow. It doesn't come from the cow. Uh, This is very similar. This whole situation with the milk and the cows and salmonella is all very, very similar to what I talked about last episode with eggs and chickens. You know, it's not the result of – it doesn't come from the cow. It's the result of our modern means of mass production of food and the necessary travel time and conditions that foods go through before they get into our cupboards and fridges. That's the problem. That's where salmonella comes from, not the animals. Uh, well, it, it can come from the animals when, it's, when they're in feedlots and things like that where it is. They're in really bad conditions. But if you have a farm with cows that are tended to locally and it's, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're milked by hand or by a, by a machine, but it's all done locally right there, and they're, not, they're all you know, free range. They're out there eating grass or eating grain but not in huge feedlots where they're also eating each other's business, right? When it's clean and it's normal and it's natural, then typically in those kind of situations, you're not going to come across the salmonella. You're not going to come across all that stuff. Uh, But we're not really informed about all of that. Instead, we're just told it's illegal to do so because people can get sick and die. Instead of really explaining, 
This is why people get sick and die, because we're trying to make a lot of money. And in order to do that, we have to have 10,000 cows on this little piece of property and they're eating each other's feces. That, that, that's basically in chickens the same way. That, and, and because of the way that we process them and then ship them to your local grocery stores, that whole process, the business side of things, is what really causes bacteria and, and bad stuff to happen. So anyway, that's, that's uh, obviously this is a big topic right? Obviously. And so perhaps milk is a topic that we can come back to in a future episode. But anyway, uh, Sister Maria Francina, thank you so very much for the question. And if you have a question for the Catholic Foodie, you can always call the listener feedback line at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974, or send me an email at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Oh, you got to taste this! This is, oh, it's got this kind of, mm, it's burning, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain, oh, it, it's kind of like a, you know, it's got like this boom, zap kind of taste. Don't you think? What, what would you call that flavor? Lightning-y? Yeah. It's lightning-y! Oh, we gotta do that again! Okay, when the next storm comes, we'll go up on the roof. I know what this needs. Saffron. A little saffron would make this. Saffron. Why do I get the feeling it's, it's in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen? All right, let's get in the kitchen now. I, you know, I love shrimp. I absolutely love shrimp, gulf shrimp. I've done episodes, just whole episodes on shrimp. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, a couple of months ago, I produced an episode about shrimp. It was uh, it was called, it was episode 118, Shrimp, the Fruit of the Sea. Uh, we were in Florida at the time, and we were ecstatic to have our ruby reds again since it had been about a year since our last visit. Now, in that episode, I talked about the difference between ruby reds and the regular Gulf shrimp that we're used to here in South Louisiana, shrimp that come right out of the Gulf of Mexico, at least this area of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and there's just there's just nothing like fresh Gulf shrimp. Uh, you know, honestly, I find seafood in general just fascinating. And if it wasn't so expensive, I would live on seafood and coffee and, and probably beer. <laughs> well, anyway... Uh, I guess I don't have to worry about that because seafood does tend to be on the expensive side. But, you know, I love shrimp. And uh, I posted a recipe for shrimp stock over at catholicfoodie.com and also shrimp bisque. Uh, just, this was just a couple of weeks ago. at the end, Toward the end of October, I posted these over at catholicfoodie.com. And uh, what had happened, we, we were out one day and I picked up some shrimp. They were just gorgeous. They were just gorgeous. You know, very, very fresh and uh, they were big, bluish, juicy-looking shrimp, uh, and they're usually less than $5 a pound, you know? And that's, that's not—and we're talking big ones, the 12 to 15 count. Uh, good, good shrimp. So, you know, the, 50, the 12 to 15 count are, are jumbos, and uh, another, another uh, size, kind of a medium-sized shrimp that I like to get and use, too, uh, are 20 to 30 count. So really, really good shrimp. So I, I got some shrimp a few weeks back and didn't know what to do with it at first. And uh, normally I do something like a shrimp etouffee. I don't fry. I can't fry because I'm terrible at frying. I, I don't own a fry daddy or anything like that. I hear that that's what you really have to have if in your kitchen if you want to fry well at home. I, I'm terrible at frying, so I, I don't do it. Uh, but um, So I usually do like a, sh a shrimp etouffee or a shrimp creole or, or even a seafood gumbo, something like that. It's always a possibility, but... This time we come we came across a, a, a recipe uh, for shrimp bisque, and so I wanted to to try my hand at a at a shrimp bisque. Actually, I didn't come across a recipe. I found a few and kind of melded them together, brought them together, and uh, and to try to 
to, to do this. First time I'd ever made a bisque. So this is my recipe that uh, is kind of a, um, a compilation, I guess, or a mixing together of several different recipes that I found. And I put this, this is what I did. All right, it's my variation. It's what I did. Uh, first of all, I made a stock, and I'm not going to go through the process of making that shrimp stock with you right now. Just for time's sake, you can go to catholicfoodie.com. It's right there on the front page. You find it on the restaurant, not restaurant, the re uh, recipe area. Uh, shrimp stock, very easy to make. Takes about 45 minutes to an hour, not that long. Doesn't take very long to make a shrimp stock. But you have to have shrimp shells and heads. So I always get my shrimp, the whole shrimp. I don't like getting them uh, deheaded. I like all of that good stuff there to make uh, to make stock with. Now, here are the ingredients for the bisque. Uh, olive oil, a tablespoon of olive oil, three to four yellow onions chopped, two ribs of celery chopped, two carrots chopped, two and a half teaspoons of kosher salt to start at least. You know, you always want to salt it to taste. Uh, Three-quarter teaspoon of cayenne or more to taste. A teaspoon of fresh cracked black pepper. Uh, a teaspoon of dried oregano. A tablespoon of fresh basil, which I luckily had in the garden, chopped. Uh, three bay leaves, three to four tablespoons of tomato paste, one cup of brandy, four quarts of shrimp stock, uh, half a stick of butter softened, a quarter cup of all-purpose flour, eight ounces of heavy cream, three pounds of medium-sized shrimp, peeled, deveined, and cut into chunks. Of course, you want to reserve those peelings and the heads. Uh, half a cup uh, or more of chopped parsley to be added to the bowls when served, and then uh, half a cup or more of chopped green onions also to be ha uh, added to the bowls when served. So this is what I did. I heated up a, a large, heavy soup pot or Dutch oven over medium-high heat, add the olive oil, followed by the onions, the celery, the carrots, a teaspoon of the salt, half a teaspoon of the cayenne, a half a teaspoon of the black pepper. I cook, stirring that until the vegetables are soft, about six minutes. I add in the uh, the herbs and the tomato paste and brandy. Did I mention brandy in the uh, Yeah, a cup of brandy. Uh, brandy. And then I cook, stirring for another two or three minutes. Then I add the shrimp stock. I bring it to a boil, reduce the heat to medium, and simmer for an hour. Meanwhile, I combine the butter and the flour in a bowl, and I mix it with my fingers uh, until it is a smooth paste. What you're doing here is basically making a roux that you're going to be adding to the bisque as it simmers, right? So after the bisque has simmered for an hour, I begin to add the mixture to the pot one tablespoon at a time, whisking very well between each uh, addition. And uh, cook for another five minutes, then slowly pour in the cream, continually whisking. I add the shrimp, I stir the pot, allow it to cook for another 15 minutes, I remove from heat and serve right away, ladle it into bowls and top it with parsley and green onions. You know, we always keep a little extra crystal or Tabasco or something on hand just in case we need to kick it up a notch. And that is the recipe there for shrimp bisque. Since it's getting cold now, we're into the fall. Uh, you may want to check this recipe out over at catholicfoodie.com, shrimp bisque. And also check out uh, the shrimp stock recipe, which is there also, catholicfoodie.com. Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And, and this is, is Mary in the, the kitchen, kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> <laughs> There's a rosary on my kitchen windowsill. When I stumble into the kitchen, my eyes barely awake. And stand there looking out at the blackness of early morning as I wait for my coffee to be ready. I see it there. That's usually my cue to pick it up and start my prayers. Sometimes, 
especially on the weekends when I allow myself the luxury of not waking up before the rest of the household. My rosary stands sentinel on the windowsill all day. Though I may get my rosary prayed through the day, it's not with the same focus or with the weight of that rosary in my hands. My kitchen has always been my primary place of prayer. And not just because I'm usually desperate for dinner to be something edible or for an idea to feed the crew. I tend to migrate toward my kitchen table, toward the place of coffee and comfort, toward the centrality my kitchen holds in my home. My kitchen and my rosary have a lot in common, really. Just as my kitchen functions as the heart of my home, since it's where all my work as a wife and mom seems to begin and end, so the rosary has become the heart of my faith. I don't mean that it trumps the sacraments, but that it leads me back to them. Find myself lonely, like I'm missing part of my soul? There in the rosary, I'll find Mary leading me to her son and to the only comfort I really need. Having a bad day and thinking the world's on my shoulders? There, with a rosary on my heart, is Mary with her arm around me, hugging me from the foot of the cross. Basking in the beauty of creation and the blessings of my life? Ah, what a day to pray the glorious mysteries and see Mary's face light up as she hugs her risen son. Just humdrumming along, fighting the temptations to feel bored or look for trouble? The rosary seems to be waiting, a path Mary walks with me, reminding me of the plan God has that I can't possibly know yet. Throughout my time in my kitchen each day, I'll catch a glimpse of my windowsill rosary. It looks like it's been placed there almost accidentally, but I know why it's there. In those beads, I have a chain of love, an ongoing link from God through his mom. I try to remember that when I don't know what I'm looking for, when I find myself hungry for something more than food. They always lead me, through Mary, to Jesus, every single time. Here's hoping that this October, they lead you there too. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was Sarah Reinhardt, folks. You can find more of Sarah's work, including her recently published Advent book, Welcome Baby Jesus, over at snoringscholar.com. And now over at catholicfoodie.com, you can find all of Sarah's Mary in the Kitchen segments in print format. Just go to catholicfoodie.com. There's a Mary in the Kitchen spot right there on the homepage, or you can go to catholicfoodie.com slash M-I-K. A big thank you to L'Angelus for allowing us to use their Ave Maria in the show. You can find L'Angelus at CajunRecords.com. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, this brings us to the end of the show, folks. Thank you very much for spending time this time with me. I have certainly enjoyed it, and I hope that you have enjoyed it, too. Remember, I'm looking for voice feedback. I want to hear from you. How does food meet faith in your life? 
You can call in your voice feedback by dialing 985-635-4974. That's 985-635-4974. You can call that number day or night. Just leave a message, and I'll be, be able to play that on the show. Or you can email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Don't forget to sign up for the Catholic Foodie newsletter so that you can have culinary inspiration delivered right to your inbox. You can sign up over at catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter. Do it today. Also, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, you might want to check out the Catholic Foodie on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash catholicfoodie. I'm just all over the place, aren't I? (laughs) And don't forget to check out the new Catholic Foodie website, at catholicfoodie.com. And until next time, bon appétit. I'm Julia Child. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit.